Welcome to People's Church Podcast. Today we want to talk about our times, the times that you and I are living in. And uh, what is our what is our best response to some of the challenges that come into our times? And, and uh, so we're going to take some time on that today because our times, we live in a, in, a, in a time of great, can we say, slide when it comes to uh, truth, traditional values that we're based on, truth, things that were obviously right only 10 or 15 years ago are now obviously wrong. We have a ever-emerging change the definitions of what words mean. Uh, if I went into that, there's quite interesting change in words that we'd be using normal when I was in school. And now, don't use those words because not because the word has changed, it's because the cultural meaning inserted into it has affected change. We live in an age where things have, have propelled and changed away from how we have built our social connections before in our communities, uh, how faith is represented within the marketplace of ideas. We have seen huge phenomenal shifts. And most of the time, I think there's a great temptation for us as believers to miss the larger perspective of these times. And we get into the minutiae. We read the headlines. We only take the shock lines and rather than seeing a larger perspective of the times that we live in, we choose a fear response simply because of that. And fear will always drive you into the minutia. Fear doesn't keep you in the big picture. It wants to drive you into minutia every time, every time. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears all my fears. There's a leadership that's always been present in the world that's based on fear. It can be political leadership. It can be just leadership within business or any within homes where it is only a fear-based leadership and the response is for those that are to follow that is, is to be controlled by the fear of those that possess those types of power or authority. Often people pursue authority and use fear to bring people into their jet stream. There is a problem with huge fear. It's not new. We are reading a scripture from Psalm 34.4, so we are going back hundreds and hundreds, well, thousands of years. You know, you look around the world, you see a lot of injustice today, um, and I'm not talking about what the justice, current justice movement necessarily determines as injustice. I mean true injustice. When we talk about injustice and see it out today where we don't know are the courts making the right decisions, upon what standard is being changed to weigh what is right or what is wrong, and if we change what is right and wrong, how does that affect our justice? There's all kinds of these issues that have emerged in this particular time. It's very important that we position ourselves with a larger perspective in these times. Sometimes even the prophetic is used by people to dive into minutia that is not scripturally soundly backed and create scenarios where they withdraw, pull back, hide, 
run to the hills, find a cave, and wait for the coming of the Lord, which is completely against the Christian faith and the Christian challenge and the Christian message that we are to bring to the world. If anything, Paul and all of the other apostles, they charged at that kind of an issue. The Romans were ruled by fear. That was the age that Christ was born into. The Roman Empire had emerged hugely powerful and strong, and they're called the Iron Empire. They were no-nonsense, here is the rules, you stay by that or you pay by that. And when they meant pay, they meant pay. They had no problem with conquering, but their goal was that they should create an empire and that they could bring to that empire not just wealth for Rome, but they knew it would require some kind of justice, and they had very clear forms of justice. In time, that broke down, and the Roman Empire, as you know from your history studies, dismantled itself from within, not from without. It weakened itself from within. We've seen this trajectory over and over again in world kingdoms. And we're in a world kingdom right now which is going through that very same process. It's weakening itself from within and thereby losing the strength that it once had. Because strength is always found within the practice of these things that don't change, not the things that do. When we change the society's homes, the foundation now, where parents, you are not the ultimate authority. I'm just describing some current models. And we say you are not the ultimate authority and responsibility in the nurture and raise of your children. Rather, the state is through its different arms. What we have done is we have displaced a truth and a word and a foundation in our society. And it creates a rot from within. Not only is it not great for the kids, it's awful for the parents because they have to live, they can live now unchallenged lives. They can, their roles, they don't have to assume and get serious about what they will account for before God. The state has taken away from them their accountability. There's all kinds of things we could continue to go into, and I'm not going to make this whole message about these things. I want to show you that, yeah, I would agree this is not a good time. There is this rottenness that has crept in and it continues to creep in and it is fed by those that use fear. So our really our biggest need is to deal with fear rather than move back into the shadows. I was at a meeting this uh, week just it was a public gathering having to do actually with some changes to the tax and stormwater, and it was kind of go around and get information. And there was one person that we just got into a conversation really quickly. I can't remember how it exactly started, but it would be over the idea of the, uh, how this is a change for a nonprofit such as ours. And immediately there was this very strong negative response once she understood where I was coming from. And it went from that to churches and how bad we all are. Do you guys know how bad you are? 
Let me tell you how bad you are. You are ruining the world. You have caused everything that's wrong with the world to be wrong with the world. It's all on you. Now, how do you feel? So I decided, okay, this is like an attack. It's not against me personally, so this is an attack on churches. And I said, hmm, I disagree. And from there, the disagreement formed. It was a wonderful experience. <laughs> what was wonderful about the experience? <clears throat> Did she change her mind? No. But she found some dead ends that she couldn't get by. Because if you are going to play that game, then that is part of the rot at the basis of our society. You and I are always going to be in a battle. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, your values are largely moving outside the center of the community values. There's a big shift that's been underway. You then are being placed in a position where what kind of values are you going to stand for and what are you going to do? Well, if you don't deal with fear, you will move along with the changes that you should maybe plant your feet on. So what is our perspective that's larger for our times? Number one, <clears throat> be careful when something is motivating you by fear to make change. Fear is something that we don't want to even make change in. It's not a positive experience. I'm going to go to an Old Testament story, a prophet, and you are going to experience his whole book in about three minutes. His name was Habakkuk. If you haven't read his book, you should read his book. It's three chapters long. It's in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. And if you don't read it and you meet him in heaven and he's going to ask you, did you read my book? <laughs> in the first chapter, Habakkuk starts off with this. Here he goes. Let me read it for you first. The problem is God gave Habakkuk to see it. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell, help, murder, police, <clears throat> before you come to the rescue? Why do you force me to look at evil? Stare trouble in the face day after day. Anarchy and violence break out. Quarrels and fights all over the place. Law and order falls to pieces. Justice is a joke. The wicked have the righteous hamstrung and send justice on its head. Is there any relationship to our day and age? So the prophet is saying, when are you going to do something about this? Don't you see it? You showed me. We see it. It's continuing. What is your response? It leads to at the end of this chapter where he sets himself into a place and says, now I will listen and hear what the Lord will say. Well, the Lord had already answered following this particular thing, which we didn't put in here, and told them already the Chaldeans, which is the Babylonians, are going to be coming and they are going to decimate Israel. 
you're going to decimate it. Because judgment will come. Because of their idols. Because they've moved away from. In the second, we have another question that basically says, why does it, when it comes to unrighteousness, why are you allowing this to grow? And will you have mercy upon your people as you judge? To which the Lord again gives the answer that they will pay their price to the Babylonians because they're only being used in the hand of God. And in the end, they will pay their price, which they did. History tells us that. Third chapter, the Lord continues, but now we're moving into more of uh, this is what's going to continue to happen. It's a lot of bad news. But now it basically comes down to the final few verses of Habakkuk. And these are Habakkuk's responses to God's answers and the information and wisdom that he gave him. In verse 17, he starts, though the cherry trees don't blossom. How many know that's not good news? Okay, and the strawberries don't ripen. Though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God. Counting on God's rule to prevail, I take heart and gain strength. That's opposite fear. He's saying, even though it's going to be bad, harvest all over will not exist. You're going to have the animal pens empty. Though we're going to go through difficult times, <clears throat> and we are in those difficult times, <clears throat> he says, my response is, I'm singing joyful praise to God. In fact, I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God. I'm counting on God's rule, you see, to prevail. Very simple statement that says, God wins. God always wins. No matter what you go through in your own life versus the large world around you, God wins. He never loses. You want to just make sure that you're on the right side and that you're not overwhelmed in fear with what is happening around you in your life or around you in the big community. You must not allow the negative uh, to entrench the fear so that you have only one response, and that's withdraw, hide, and your courage will deplete out. I know some of these values are hitting your homes, hitting your children and their upbringing. I know that you got a battle that you're fighting, and you are always trying to find your way through this one, and that's good. You stay in the fight with this. And then he goes on and he says, I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. More or less, because God will prevail, he's saying, though we got to go through this, and though this is a part of what this world is going to bring, fear is not my response. At first it was. But fear is not my response. My response is that God will prevail. Very simple. No matter what you are experiencing, no matter what you're going through, fear is never the answer and God will prevail. 
Fear is not ignoring realities. It is not ignoring the challenge. Fear is not uh, the idea of just having that moment where fear is going to grab you. Fear is choosing courage. Fear is standing for the right. Fear is being willing to not move off of what fear is trying to push you. Fear is never, it's something where you don't give it control because you know God will prevail. That's how different it is between a life of fear and a life of faith. A life of faith is always based on that big perspective. He never loses. So because he never loses, why would I be afraid? Because he will prevail. In the end, he walks out the victor. And he has a plan for this whole thing. Paul believes in something that we'll call God's intervention. Now we move to a New Testament story. This is an interesting story because it brings the future in. And this is where fear usually will attach itself the most, the greatest majority of the time, is towards your future as early as tomorrow. Your immediate, midterm, long-term future. And when it comes to fear like that, you've got to know that God will not only just prevail, but he will intervene. Here we find something about the future. One day he's in Philippi, where the church of Philipp, Philipp, Philippians, the book, originates from. One day on our way to the place of prayer, a slave girl ran into us. She was a psychic, and with her fortune-telling, made a lot of money for the people who owned her. Always be aware of when money is attached to someone who can in any way give you the future on a plate. All kinds of things that are on the on the we would say the black heart side. This is their main premise. We can show you. No, they, 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 they can't really. See, the one that's in charge of your future is God and then your choices. So it's God and you. But you can be conned into thinking that this is sort of this idea that through fortune-telling and psychic experiences or through those that would pretend to wield this great power would suck you out of the plan of God and the trust of God and who he is. So she made a lot of money. She was a slave for the people who owned her. She started following Paul around calling everyone's attention to us by yelling out, these men are working for the most high God. They're laying out the road of salvation for you. This does not sound like too bad. It's sort of like, you know, if you were going to go and preach in a city and share Christ, have somebody local who's known stand up, walk out in front and or behind and present you as the one that's bringing 
Now, what she was doing and what the spirit in her was doing was canceling out Christ by simply adding in Satan. The alignment, that which comes together. She was looking to be publicly joined with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at Paul's response. She did this for a number of days. Now, I love that because Paul didn't just jump all over this and it was like, maybe it'll just go away. He didn't go pick fights. He only responded to those he needed to. Finally fed up with her, turned and commanded the spirit that possessed her out. In the name of Jesus Christ, get out of her. And it was gone, just like that. Spiritual confrontation. He didn't take her on and say, lady, okay, let's sit down and talk about this. Do you understand that this is not really working for me? Didn't go into negotiation. He dealt with it as a spiritual, which it was, thing because it was rooted within the future, the occultic world, and it was seeking to form alliance and buddies with the gospel of Christ. So he dealt with it. Out. It went out. But look at the response when her owner saw that their lucrative little business was suddenly bankrupt. Money's a huge motivator. Always, always. They went after Paul and Silas, roughed them up and dragged them into the marketplace or the market square. Then the police arrested them, pulled them into court with the accusation. These men are disturbing the peace, dangerous Jewish agitators, subverting our Roman law and order. These are the very people that didn't want the Roman law and order, but now they'll use the law and order because they've just had their money flow cut off. You know, in these last days, it's not always easy to know the motivations. But just like Paul, take on the fights you know you have to. When you know you have to take it, take it. By this time, the crowd had turned into a restless mob out for blood. It amazes me how in our age we see the same thing where we have mobs that emerge around not logical debate or data or sit down and discuss. No. It's just, we're all in it. I just hate it. I just hate it. I went to introduce myself finally in this conversation. And I said, hi, I'm Nelson Jones. No hand was extended. To which we can't have a discussion without. That's a mob. That was a mob of one. It's a mentality that is emotion driven. It is some kind of way to bring out anger about probably all kinds of things and probably not the deal itself in many cases. 
In this case, the mob had turned into a restless mob out for blood. So it was getting serious. The judges went along with the mob. I wonder if that's happening today. I'm just reading the scriptures. Had Paul and Silas's clothes ripped off and ordered a public beating. After beating them black and blue, they threw them into jail, telling the jailkeeper to put them under heavy guard so there would be no chance of escape. He, just that, he did just that, threw them into the maximum security cell in the jail, and clamped leg irons on them. So as secure as they could meet them, make them, and as much as they could humiliate them, start taking their, their clothes all off, beating them in the public square, as bad as they could do to them, they did it to them. And how do you think they responded? What do you think they did? Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were consulting with their lawyer and said, we want blood. <laughs> and they said, we're suing them. I'm a Roman citizen. They didn't even ask. And this is completely against Roman law for them to do that without full-on trial and conviction. I got them. Silas, we're rich. Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. Onward, Christian soldiers. How many know that one? How many ever don't have any idea and you didn't even recognize the you know, the melody. Okay, that's my fault. It's an old song. They were singing a robust hymn at midnight. They were right into this aspect of demonstrating a whole different perspective. We would say a larger perspective of their situation, of their times, of their times. They weren't going to try and overthrow the Romans. That wasn't what Jesus sent them for. Jesus refused to do that. The people wanted him to, and he would not. They weren't there even to, to actually dismantle all the Jewish religion. They weren't there. They were only there to present Christ. And they would defend where they needed to. But their response was always out of a larger perspective. What would cause them after such a day at midnight to be in prayer and singing a robust hymn to God? A larger perspective of their times. If we withdraw in the times that we're in and we don't bring faith practiced with joy into our situations... We're caught up in fear because fear and joy and fear and this kind of response cannot walk the same path. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Why? Well, it's very simple. From their perspective, this was the weirdest thing that they've ever heard. Then without warning, a huge earthquake, bang, shook the prison. Intervention. You want to see more of God's intervention than you take God's perspective on your times. Don't subject them to the small world, the small uh, perspective that you may have on being a victim 
or that the world is so bad that, you know, there's no hope, we have to run away. These are not no-hope people. You don't live a no-hope faith. It says that the jailhouse tottered, every door flew open, all the prisoners were loose. All of them were loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring he was as good as dead anyway. When Paul stopped him, the jailer, the jailer, who's holding you in jail and you have just the total wrong perspective on? Who's watching a cell that they've put you in? Who's the one that's hardest on you in keeping that door closed and keeping you locked within? Who have you known like that in your history? Who has played that role of jailer in your history? Maybe you've had several. The woman at the well went through five relationships, and she was in her sixth. How many jailers do we need in life? Well, stopped him. Don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away. <clears throat> we got guys in that jail. When that door was open, the first thing they would have been motivated and wanted to do was get out of their situation because if they were in there and they knew that their life was on the line, that they would be executed, this was the one moment they thought they had been praying for. Get us out of here. By the way, when you hear that in a lot of end times preaching, get us out of here. Would you take Paul's intervention mindset and would you look at it as saying, don't do it, jailer. We are all still here. And the restraint of Paul's worship, the restraint of Paul's clear, bigger perspective held him in what man would design to keep him in chains. And he stood there in the midst of this amazing moment, having influenced now all of the other prisoners. Nobody's run away. You know, the moment you're willing to get a larger perspective, that larger perspective will be a core of influence into your families, into your places of relationship at work or in this community or wherever your extended family goes to or friendships. You will have an amazing influence to not run just because the door flew open. Because your perspective is not escape, your perspective is dwell live here, follow God's leadership, because God always has a bigger picture. So here we are, nobody runs away. I didn't put it in, but here's how that story ends. The jailer comes 
And he takes Paul and Silas to his home that night. This happens just around midnight, right? So he takes them to their home. Paul introduces them to Jesus Christ. Their whole family, him, his wife, his children, are baptized into Christ. It's an amazing thing. The next morning... He has brought them back to the jail because they're going to be summoned. They're summoned, and all of a sudden, the judges hear this was a Roman citizen, and they understand power, and they understood what they had done, and their lives were on the line for what they had done, and they just entreated them. Okay, we're, we're just letting everything go. Would you kind of just leave town? The jailer and his family and another business lady named Lydia were the foundation of the Philippian church. A church that was amazingly influenced and beautiful in the first century. God always has a bigger perspective. Don't think escape. Think engage. Don't run from the challenges in this day and age that we live. Don't run from them in your home. Don't run from them in your relational world. Don't run from them. You stand. Let escape be somebody else's plan. Well, we just have to move into somewhere in the far north and find a cave and turn off every electrical device we've got and... Okay, I'm not coming to visit you. It, it, I, I like comfort. <laughs> comfort being running water, a toilet that flushes. How far back do you have to go? Onward, Christian soldiers. onward. Here's some facts about your future. Number one, God knows everything. There's nothing about you or anybody else that he doesn't know. I mean, nothing. Zero. He does not have any information deficit on you, your life, your makeup, your inner thoughts, everything about your past, your present, and your future, by the way, because he's got this global view of you. He can see beginnings, endings. He can see all of your eternal journey. He's got it all. Nothing is lacking. Look at Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Oh, here's my account, Lord. The door opened and I got out of there. Paul's account. Thanks for opening the door so that, you know, you would give us the jailer and his family to join Lydia, the businesswoman, in being the rocks of this new church. (laughs) 
Psalm 139, 16, you saw me before I was born. The days allotted to me had all been recorded in your book before any of them ever began. Why do we take ownership of every day of that way and saying, you know, look, rather, he knows. He knows my birth. He knows every day I've been allotted. Uh, he's got it all ready before it ever comes to pass. The question is, and the big goal of life is not your longevity. The big goal of life is your fruit. What are you bearing? This is a big choice for us. Not only does he know everything, God has a plan. For I know the plans I have for you. These are individual, specific kind of words. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to prosper you. How was Paul being prospered? Oh, I'm telling you, I... Okay. If you could have five minutes with either a Paul or a Judas... Now, I know Judas would be interesting, but I know I wouldn't like where the outcome was. Because Judas, I could only discover Judas. But if I could sit with Paul for five minutes, just give me five minutes, Paul. Because of who the man had become. How? Bigger perspective on his times. He understood this moment his history, his opportunity. He understood what it was for. He understood his role. He knew it would cost him. In the end, he knew he'd die. He understood all of that. He has a plan. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Another one is God will be with me. This is facts about your future. Fact number one. He, number one, he knows everything. Number two, he has a plan. Number three, he will be with me. We actually are the ones that either live in that reality. So if we go back to Paul and Silas sitting or chained in a, in, a, in a dungeon, deepest part of this particular prison, and if they're there and they are actually doing what, what, what it says, they're singing, they're worshiping, they're doing that kind of thing. What they have done is brought into that with them the presence of God in a fullness so that God can intervene. God didn't need to somehow comfort them over their fears because they had chosen not to listen to the fear. They didn't give the reins. They didn't give control to the fear. And because of that, there's this beautiful intervention because God could use them to reach the jailer himself who was in charge of their doors and seemed to be in so control of the situation. Till in that moment, he realized how out of control he was. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. 
And be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He's saying, don't trade me off for money. Don't trade me off for your security. Don't trade me off for this because I promise you I'll never leave you. But I'm in a jail. Get my perspective. I'm not in a good situation. Get my perspective because there's purpose right here with you right now. Do not miss this. I have a plan. He knows everything. Finish with this. Five guarantees. Guidance. You trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he will guide your path. Guidance. He says, I'll give that to you when you get this larger perspective on your times. Assistance. But remember this, the wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before you. And no temptation is irresistible. You can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. For he has promised this and will do what he says. He will show you how to escape temptation's power so that you can bear up patiently against it. He's saying, look, you're all going to be subject to temptation. Here's one thing that will never change about you as an individual. I don't care how long you walk with Christ, you're never going to leave behind temptation. In fact, the most foolish position you can get is that you can. You'll always have temptation. It's probably going to come in the places of your life. It's always come because that's the weaknesses. That's the enemy. He's going to try and push it down that path every time. But he's saying, look, I am with you on this. I am going to be your assistant. There is no temptation that's irresistible. I will be with you in the middle of this. I will help you to bear up patiently against it. I will give you power to escape it. He's going to walk with you even in the weak spots of your life. And then support. Support when overwhelmed. He's saying when you're going to go through really tough times like prison, when you're going to be a Habakkuk and you're at the prophet, you can see all of the sin and you know what's coming, God's judgment, and you know what's going to be upon. And you're saying, oh God, when are you going to deal with it? And will you have mercy on us? Another one that's asking for mercy. When our attitude tends to be, get them God, Habakkuk was actually more bring mercy with the judgment. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, your Savior, the Holy One of Israel. I gave Egypt and Ethiopia and Seba to Cyrus in exchange for your freedom as your ransom. He's saying, I will deal with nations. I will work for your good. I want to tell you that whatever situation that you're in, uh, those waters are not going to overcome you. The fire is not going to be kindled upon you. Uh, you're going to escape through this oppression. You will not consume you. You will go through it, but I promise you, you will not be overwhelmed. I will give you the support, and you will not be overwhelmed. If you choose fear, you already are overwhelmed. Defend me. 
He will defend me. Romans 12, 19, dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God for he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. Don't take the law into your own hands. Christians, hear this. <clears throat> Let God be your defense. If somebody attacks you personally, there's a, there's a real strong biblical case to be made for you to receive uh, the grace of God and to extend it. When you are under assault from somebody who doesn't like you, maybe be calling you, you know, names, God has a, has a thing and he says, <clears throat> don't avenge yourselves. But the opposite is true, you know. We find the story of the Good Samaritan. Somebody else has been offended. Somebody that was the offender of Samaritans. And this Samaritan stops. And in that moment where he's been a subject of injustice his whole life from the Jewish uh, people, he instead extends the healing care that's necessary for that man. <clears throat> How could he do this? Because he didn't need to avenge himself. All he saw was a broken up body, a man that needed help. He didn't repay it to him, what he deserved. He didn't take the law into his own hands. Let God defend you. He says he will, so he will. And then finally, reward me. Reward is a really important word. There are a lot of people that try to duck this word and say, well, it doesn't. You know, I'd do it if it... No, you know what? Then you don't get what this is talking about. Reward me is based on this, that you have taken God's perspective on your times, on your life, on the times you live in, on the, the challenges around you, on the prisons you're in. You've taken God's perspective, and God says, whenever you take my perspective built in, is going to be my blessing of reward. Hebrews 8.10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's a great reward. God will reward when you take his perspective, and you are stunning the other prisoners who waited for that door to open and their running shoes are on and ready to go and they hit it like the 100-meter dash. But now with you, what do they see? God's got a bigger thing here. A final scripture is found in Philippians 4.13. This scripture is something we need to understand in the context of this scripture. I can do all things which he has called me to do. This is out of the amplified version, so you get a context. Which he has called me to do. See, Paul's call brought in that prison. Paul's call brought in that beating there was a cost there was a context I can do all things through him meaning Jesus Christ who strengthens and empowers me 
Now we see another bracket, to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the context of your purpose, God's purpose, God's call. And God will see to it that he blesses your life. And you will have the kind of fruit that will transcend time. It will reach the eternal storehouses. It will be kept in heaven for you. I'm quoting scripture. It will be kept in heaven for you. It awaits your arrival. It is something that God himself puts into your heavenly storehouse. Store up for yourselves, therefore, treasures which are in heaven and not on the earth. He is saying, I have a storehouse. And whenever you enter into this kind of walk with me where you take my perspective into the prisons, into the beatings, into the injustices, into the hard work, and when you're willing to stand in the midst of trial, when you are willing to stand in the midst of a culture that has lost its moorings, when you're willing to stand in grace and with grace to all men, I'm going to fill your reward your storehouse. And I'm going to give you the power of Jesus to strengthen you. And you will do all the things that I have for you to do. Like get through that. Like walk through that. Like see purpose in the midst of personal pain. I will give you power to get through. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you that we don't have to follow the normal trajectories of fear. We thank you that we can stand in confidence of your presence with us. We thank you that, Lord, you have a plan for us and purpose that you have designed around us that fits in with the kingdom of God. We thank you for the times we live in. I pray that our souls and minds will not be infected with the fear that says retreat, run, hide. But rather, I'm asking in Christ's name that there will be a new sense of flow of courage in us to have our feet standing in the goodness and the plan and the support of God Almighty. That we will know, even though we know what's coming and we know there's difficult things and there's not going to be sheep in the pens, there's not going to be anything coming off of those orchard trees, we can stand and we can be happy and do cartwheels because you will prevail. We can. We can bring a sense of joy and that which is rooted in a whole other kingdom. And other men will sit in the cells and take the influence. Father, there is no easy way to do your work. 
There's no easy way to be the work of God in our families. It's not easy to be a husband or a father or a mother or a wife. It's not easy to be a sibling. It's not easy to be in a family and have, have that kind of challenge, Lord, going on in our, in, our, in, our, in our relationships. It's difficult, and fear can grab us for our kids, for our, for our wives, for our children. We can, we can just feel that fear want to come in. And I pray instead, Lord, that there would be a choice to not let fear have that kind of control, but we will stand in who our God is, and he is the God who always prevails. And that we will put our trust fully into him and not let our negative tendencies look for open prison doors as the way to get out of things, but rather to see the purpose so that we can be a part of your work. Father, I just pray there would just be a new wave of wisdom in our day and age, in what we face, that would grab our hearts, both those online, those sitting in this auditorium. Lord, in all of our hearts, may there be just a rise of courage, a rise of faith that does not allow fear. And where we have allowed it, Lord, I pray right now, you just loose it from people's hearts as they think about areas of their life where fear has definitely had the reins, it's had the control, and it shows up in the retreat and the hiding and the running. And Lord, I just pray release right now. Deliver, deliver, deliver. Lift it. Put in a joy even though we know what's coming. Put in a joy that causes us to say, I feel like we're king of the mountain. Because, Lord, we are. Because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us within the purpose and the plan of everything that we face. So in Christ's name, Bring about that kind of freedom and deliverance in hearts from this kind of fear in the age in which we live. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I give you an opportunity here in simple faith just to say something as simple as this in the prayer within your heart because God actually is, if this is your day and you're going to make this prayer, he knows you're going to make this prayer and he's ready to hear it. And that prayer would be as simple as this, Jesus Christ. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you've defeated all of the darkness, all of that, Lord, which is against me and seeks to destroy me. I receive you as my savior. Forgive me for my sins. And I pray now, Lord, you will help me to live and learn as I take the next steps in a faith that's going to challenge me to not run out of prison door so quickly and not to put all of my hope in things that might open that door so in Christ's name I receive him for the Christian here you go guys forgive me for fear it stays well hidden it even sounds so smart but it takes me out of your game, out of your purpose. I accept my call. 
I accept my purpose. I accept the toughness of it. Now, Lord, give me the power that I can do whatever I need to do through Christ who will strengthen me. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.